some offering this um, consideration of intentionality, the movement of the heart, the wish, the desire, the impulse, the movement of the heart, and tracking it within the fields of body and mind. Just note, if we look in the connected discourses, Sanguti Nikaya, the 47th book is the book on Satipatthana. The Buddha says, um, when your virtue is purified and your view is straight, then you should cultivate, establish sati, mindfulness, in three ways. Internally, externally, and both together. Mm. Internally, externally, both together. So, you know, when we we review this teaching over and over again, we see there's no details on what particular place in the body one should even focus on. But he does make this point very strongly. And this is not just the only place. It's generally the theme is one establishes one's reflection on virtue, on one's own, that quality of it, frees the mind from agitation and remorse, turns the mind inwardly away from external phenomena and the future and the past and what other people, da 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 da, or from the abstract world into the direct realm, yeah, where we have, so it's a virtue, virtue has got no time on it. It's got no location apart from in the heart. So it's not about particular quality in the sense fields in sight or sound or touch. And yet of course that quality infuses those sense fields. We bring the heart out through the sense doors. Yeah. And here we're saying first of all get the heart right before we go out through the sense doors. Yeah. Now, if that's not the case, what happens is sense doors open, and then what jumps out is an untrained, unprepared, uncultivated heart, not established in right view, cause and effect, not established in virtue. Even if we are virtuous, we haven't established the heart in it right now. Instead, what we pick up are the signals from the sense world. This is pleasant. This is wonderful. This is important. This is terrible these signals that we're getting from the sense world, often associated with consumerism or with uh, politics, propaganda, media, trying to bias you, trying to capture you in some way or another. So there are these kind of mm, signals which are rather like um, mines, you could say, <laughs> when you walk into a minefield where one of these blows up. Oh, my goodness, you know. Um, so the world is loaded with these signals that touch things in us. We find ourselves impulsively racing towards signals that are attractive, fearful, pressurized, urgent, you know, psychologically um, gratifying, mm, fame 
praise, success, wealth, uh, being attractive, being interesting, being famous, all this sort of stuff, these signals, that psychological signals, just as important as purely sense signals, because one of the important sense bases to remember is the sense field of the mind, the thinking, comparing mind. You know, through which we measure, and we measure ourselves in terms of that mind. We measure a self in terms of what the mind creates. Am I useful? Am I useless? Am I liked or disliked? Am I praised or not praised? Am I succeeding or failing? Do I have a good? Am I winning or losing? Well, this kind of this is, these are mental interpretations, aren't they? Yeah often based upon you know, really worldly worldly values fastest, strongest um, you know <laughs> very shallow it's good so and attention is called shallow attention which means we just attend purely to the signal that the world presents to us either on the sensory level which is just to do with pleasure or pain psychological level which is to do with self we measure ourselves we have an idea of ourselves and you know and that idea of ourself is abstract am i as good as she is uh, am i do other what other people think of me purely abstract you know Often there's nothing much you can do about it, <laughs> what other people think, or whether, whether your other people think you're what, who's better, who's worse, who's succeeding. It's purely abstract, and yet it can have profound, direct feeling when it touches the heart. And of course, this is to do with loss, isn't it? I've lost something. I've gained something. Really, these terms are so poignant and yet so meaningless. Like, who gains anything? Stuff just passes through, doesn't it? If you gain things, you lose them. If you get that attitude, then you lose things. If you don't hold anything, you neither gain nor lose. Things just pass through. But these psychologies, which are based upon a shallow, superficial attention which is the one, um, is the mainstream of the world, have very direct effects on the heart jumps and gets agitated and, and loses its focus on virtue, loses its focus on contentment, loses its focus on equanimity, loses its focus on its own capacity to open and embrace and steady and calm. Mm. And release. Basically releasing the power of these signals. We begin to see them as void, as things that have no meaning, as empty, as not defining a self at all. They're not self. They don't define a self. They just are empty sounds, praise, blame, gain, loss. 
Mm-hmm. So one who's cultivated that is then able to move freely through the sense basis, through the sense field of sight and sound and colour and shape and being praised and being blamed and seemingly lesser than her, better than him, that, that all this kind of stuff, without getting stuck in it. <laughs> and since this is the world we live in, we can't really avoid it. We have to better move through it without getting stuck in it. This is the point of these cultivations. Well, one of the points. <laughs> non-stuck, non-attachment to the signals that arise. And of course these arise externally. We see them around us. Uh, we sense them as something that's coming from other people towards us. What happens around us. So. The external field of the mind is our psychological world. The external field of the mind is the whole sense of the psychological, the society, the, the psychologies that affect me in, in the world around me. That's uh, things that affect me. It could be just the people I'm living with. It doesn't have to mean the whole planet. It could mean because it's a very amorphous world it shifts you know you can just be three of you living on a desert island you still have the world you'd get all the all the passion of the world would get down to three people or it could be your country or your city or your neighborhood or the whole planet but it's the signal that your mind makes out of all that that's your psychological world that's called the external field internal field is the self that arises dependent upon that I feel very overwhelmed myself is overwhelmed myself is running so hard to try to keep up with things I'm a stressed self I'm an overwhelmed self I'm someone who's never getting enough I'm a neglected self I'm a failed self because I can't you know, get these positive signals going that's the internal field of the mind and same thing we have the body external field of the body is things that contact the body from outside internal field is the body's own nervous system where it experiences a sense of depleted energy bright energy restless energy imbalanced tangled constricted relaxed yeah and they're very much associated with each other these fields, internal fields, overlap. You know, what is felt in the internal field of the mind is a feeling and emotion that overlaps what you're experiencing internally in the body. If you're feeling angry, your body is going to feel tight and hard. If you're feeling sad, it's going to feel limp. And, you know, feeling joyful, it's going to come up to your face, you're going to feel bright and expansive. Yeah, see what I mean? Now, if, for example, we're beginning to generate positive heart impulses, it's possible for those internal fields to become quite bright and luminous. And certainly the Buddha very much recommended this because it's for immediate welfare. It also helps to um, remind us where our happiest state can be 
the most fortunate, happiest state to be, and then we have some ability to, to bring that around. It's not dependent upon the world around us. We have some ability to bring that around. Oh, we should not neglect it. It's definitely for our happiness and welfare. It also tells us something important about the mind or the heart or jitta. You know, it's actually not. It doesn't belong in this sense world. It belongs in the world of karma. That is, old karma means the kind of intentions, impulses, attitudes, energies that I followed right, most strongly when I come into meditation, those will be the ones that will be most apparent. So if I've cultivated uh, goodwill and compassion strongly, purposefully, when I close my eyes and go inward, those, those energies will be to the fore. And similarly, if one has not cultivated it, one has cultivated carelessness or confusion, or cultivated it, but that's what's happened. We don't do these things deliberately. Most of it is because we don't really understand. So people do all kinds of careless things based upon shallow intention that leave these, even they didn't realize it, it still leaves these consequences. People get addicted, they get into dis terrible emotional habits, they get into difficult states, and these old karma. And that's what you begin to sense on various levels. Critical, then you get the tension and the agitation. Yeah. Generous and, and equanimous, you get that quality. So you begin to witness old karma and the power of good karma to cultivate bright intentionality, bright energies that will begin to come to the fore. This is bright, fresh karma. Then the other kind of karma is the karma that leads to the end of karma, which first of all means not being caught up in the old karma. The old habits, we've all started from confused places of ignorance, not really knowing what was going on. Just buying into and receiving the messages of sensuality, of power, of money, of getting ahead, this kind of stuff. We've all absorbed that. You know? So these patterns can be there. We probably also experienced the reactions to being blamed, we've become defensive, we've become warriors. Mm. Mm. We've probably also experienced a sense of self-criticism because I didn't do very good at school or dancing or violin playing or socialising, therefore this critical mind, we've experienced the results of criticism, our own criticism and the criticism of others. This results again in an intentionality that is fearful and tense. Mm. Mm. So, and of course, as we open our faculties to the world around us, we're getting these signals which do with a world of hostility that we feel overwhelmed by. You know, a world of runaway greed that we seem to be powerless to stop. We're getting these signals coming in. Mm. Easily, these easily then trigger in, trigger our patterns of despair. So 
what's the point useless uh, anger uh, want to get out escape help these energies then run through mm. since this is the world we're in and the Buddha's world wasn't particularly peaceful either it was constant warfare and famine and disease and death mm. how do we acknowledge that without getting caught in it attachment yeah when you begin to recognize the effects cause comes down to very these karmic programs these karmic energies these karma forming energies sankara sankara a word i talk about a lot is such a crucial term because it means in fact this kind of energy of to do with it with impulse it's not just the thought it's an energy you can once you open your fields you can recognize it you know, what seems to be just oh i think i'll go to the shops today go shopping or go to visit my uncle just an idea in my head well if you go inwardly you'll find there's a sense perhaps of eagerness or enthusiasm or whatever you can feel it you've got to kind of go in to the mind field to get it otherwise you go out into the mind projection to the abstract world the sense fields we start to fantasize about you know what to do or what i'm going to bring my uncle or whether he needs this or that or the other and begin to worry and it's so easy to take one's lead from the thinking mind which is you know, what's your intention stay in that and you recognize that the thinking mind has a particular program to it thinking mind has a particular default program to it that's what it's supposed to do the nature of the thinking mind is to deal with abstractions this means what could be what should be what would have been what might have been what to do if what to do if not hmm? and an agile thinking mind could probably come up with six different possibilities in any situation could be this could be that but maybe this or maybe that perhaps i'll think remember that just in case and have i got all this covered and now you when you have your probably must be some gadget or app that you can get that will give you a whole sh spiel of options of what you could should remind you of figure out organize and then you can organize organize you get a very organized life but it's all abstraction right because <laughs> that's all it can be it's not bad that's all it can be it can only be an abstraction that something that might happen or might not happen and as far as i can recognize most of these abstractions however well thought out they are are never absolutely true to what occurs right they can't be like you know if i say okay i'm going to catch a train and get it to the airport and get the 940 plane to berlin or something yeah that's good enough reasonable but it can't tell me 
what I will feel as I walk to the car, whether the car will start or not, whether the driver's clear about what he's doing, whether the train's on time, what kind of train it will be, whether it will be a strike or on delay, whether the airplane, what's going to happen when I get to the airport, whether the security guard will actually give me a difficult time, will they accept my visa, I don't know. I can't know. I don't know how I feel, whether I'll suddenly get overwhelmed with a headache, or forget my bags, or do any one of a number of 101 things. In actual living reality is spontaneous and gently chaotic. No wonder we have a thinking mind to try and organise it all. And it does the best it can, but it can't actually deal with reality living reality. It just tries to put it in a box. And you can get a false sense of security, like if you get enough of these boxes, enough of spreadsheets, enough click codes, enough, you'll get it all lined up. And <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> and then we get disappointed, irritated. Yeah. That's the nature of the thinking mind. It's a, it's a servant, but it, it's not really. But what you can do, you can cultivate recognition of uncertainty. Uh -huh. Might happen, might not happen. Uh -huh. Therefore, you don't get too involved with what could and should be. You just say, maybe, maybe so. We'll see. Most important thing, stay centred where you are keep open, stay with what you can always carry with you. Your virtue, your ability to compose, your steadiness, kindness, ability to... Okay, didn't work. Non-attachment, dispassion. Yeah. This thinking mind is so significant because it will even predict conversation. I'm going to have a talk to George. I'm going to think, what am I going to talk to George about? Okay, I need to tell him this. I've got an idea. He's not going to like it, but I have to tell him this. He's not going to enjoy it, but I've got to make this difficult conversation with him. So we set this thing up, idea, what's going to happen, what, how we're going to work our way through this difficulty we have with George. How we're going to find a way to listen to him carefully, push aside his arguments, place our opinion carefully and distinctly, be firm but gentle in terms of actually making sure this conversation goes the way I want it, so I get to the end result that I want. That's So he gets all expecting mine. Okay, go and see George. Okay, George. Uh, George, I've got a few things to say to you. Oh yeah, fine, sit down. George, I've got some difficult things to say to you. Have you really? This, that. Oh fine, okay, no problem. Oh, <laughs> well, that strategy <laughs> that we created, <laughs> you know, maybe we got it wrong. You know, we've got our information wrong. So what's it like to realise expectation carries the blueprints of your karma? It's like a QR code. Yeah. Expectation based upon what I've sensed in the past and 
have, have operated in the past, that's how I'm going to deal with this next situation coming up. So we come into a situation already preloaded, predicting, feeling that prediction will give us the advantage. <laughs> it's aimed at gain. It's aimed at getting my way. It's aimed at convincing somebody else of my opinion. Making it work for me. Hmm? That's prediction. And, yeah. It's not relationship. It's projecting one's own karmic residues onto a fresh situation. And the emotional energy of that is not beautiful. So we learn to live without expectation. This is not easy. Uh, this all this stuff has to be you have to train in it it goes against the grain one does have to train in it uh, not just to do it but also to feel the benefit of it okay I didn't win I didn't get my own way that's fine you don't always win you don't always get your own way how could it be otherwise the world isn't going to run according to my wishes. Other people aren't going to be the way I want them to be constantly. That doesn't make sense, does it? What is it like when we have to, okay, didn't get my way. Do we just go, oh well, you know, life is difficult, frustrating, I have to give up. Or we just, we're still carrying the idea that if I got my own way, it would take me to contentment. It doesn't. Because you carry the same blueprint and you start organising the next meeting, the next situation, the next person, the next event. And you get bossy without even realising it. And you wonder why when people when people see you, they start to kind of, oh, here she comes again, going to tell us what to do. <laughs> so, and then look at internally. That's the external. That's what. That's the external result. Your external mental world becomes like that. Internally, we generate a self was based upon control yeah and this is uh, this self that's based upon control is not going to go very far it's going to constantly meet things that challenge it or constantly feel threatened and frustrated constantly have another mountain to climb because it's trying to control what cannot be controlled now, this is why the Buddha teaches not self, and yet it teaches tremendous intimate care for the heart. 
And the self is a constriction of the heart. The self is this impression of me that sits on the heart and limits it to desire and fear. That's putting it very simply. The self fears what it can't control. It desires to govern everything, to govern its world. Now, when we refer to this internal field, as we might do in meditation, <coughs> I hope, So, who's there? Who's who's there? Who's there? You know, we begin. I think, oh my goodness, I'm doing all this thinking. I think so much. I've always I think a lot and I feel a lot and have all these moments. A little bit of practice. You think, no, I don't think. Thinking happens to me. These painful memories come up. It's not that I do them. They they happen to me. They happen to me because of what she said. They happen to me because of what he did. They happen to me because of what they didn't do. Yeah. They happen to me. I may not be doing them, but they happen to they come up in my mind, in my heart. And things from the past come up in my mind and my heart. Yeah. And so this certainly this is a pretty powerful experience, alright. Um, what makes it mine? What makes it my heart, my me? What makes it happening to me? What's the me that it happens to? It's heart, it's chitta. Now, rather than saying, well, there's no such thing, or there's no such thing as a me, we just say, okay, let's look into that experience. And the poignancy of it is, well, me is that which is the part of the heart that's most powerfully affected. And attention and energy goes to that. So, it's to do with pain and pleasure. Things that didn't affect me, just neutral, just passes through. If you think of your life, you'll remember the most significant features of my heart are things that powerfully affected me when I was a child, my parents, my relationships, my school days, my da 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 da. Things that had a pretty uh, powerful feeling for good or for bad were stimulating, were stirring. That's me alright. And the bits that weren't didn't even they've gone altogether. So, me is established on the wave of passion. The wave of where I was most powerfully affected, that's what really is me. And that's what stays with me, becomes me, becomes my blueprint. Now, what's it like if we say, this is just intense feeling. And now, when you're contemplating the field of your heart, you notice there are certain intensities, stirrings, agitations, flushes, constrictions. You just don't need this third party called me 
and me is not going to fix it or change it. What is important is to develop the relationship to those experiences which is dispassionate. Soothing the afflicted, brightening the unafflicted, the depleted. There's a response of compassion. Dispassion, dispassion from the sense of ownership. Compassion, encouraging the sense of uh, responsibility to respond properly to what's happening in one's heart. And between responsibility on one hand, which is not identification, and reaction, I don't keep reacting, we find that middle balance where we are sensing awareness, sensing what is needed here, cooling, warming, brightening, steadying, stepping back from, contemplating, we begin to find the quiet, invisible quality of Buddha within our own mind, our own heart, within our citta. Someone who follows Buddha in their own citta, who finds that place, that centre, which is both open, not flooded, because it's centred, it has its feet established on integrity, not upon sense data, pleasure, pain, just integrity. From there, we look with integrity across the field. And if we don't know what's needed, we'll at least ask the question, what's helpful now? What brings us into true balance? So it's an ongoing question because every every day, every moment is a slightly different experience. You can't plan it. You can't expect it to be a certain way. But you stay in that empty center, the Buddha, and learn to relate to qualities that arise without self, empty of self, empty of expectation, empty of results. This will be for one's welfare and happiness, but it's up to all of us to practice, test it, go with it, see where it takes us. So offer this for your reflection today.